Why don't you grab your Bible right now and turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 12. And while you're doing that, I want to greet those watching online. Can we greet those and say hi to those watching online? So great to have you with us. And our house campus in College Station, we say it's great to have you too. It's always great to see you guys. Hope you had a great fourth. And uh, hope you guys had a great fourth. Um, Acts chapter 12, uh, the fifth installment of this series of messages that we call Beast Mode, where we're talking about living not from our strength, but living from God's power, anticipating God's power, leaning into God's power, expecting God's power, looking for God's power. Hopefully you've been following along, even if you've been out, um, hopefully you've kept up through podcast or through uh, YouTube or the app or however you do that. Um, Acts chapter 12, this is um, 13 years past the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes I think we forget Acts chapter 12 covers such a large span of time. A lot of, 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 of the books, if you will, of the New Testament are epistles, meaning they're letters. So they kind of take place mostly about the same sitting, but Acts chapter 12 is covering a, a big expansion of time. And so Acts chapter 12 is 13 years after the resurrection of Jesus. King Herod uh, Agrippa the second is now the king. So when it says King Herod, it's talking about King Herod Agrippa the second. Um, this was the grandson of King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. He was the one that ordered all two-year-old male Jews to be put to death because he heard there's going to be this king of the Jews, and he was the king of the Jews, even though he operated under Roman authority. Um, and so he he saw it as competition, and so that that was him. He was pretty ruthless. He was a good builder built a lot of cool things, rebuilt the temple. That was really cool. But he was also um, pretty mean, <laughs> really, honestly, and ruthless. And, and uh, you know, like I said, he ordered the execution of baby boys. And then um, he actually executed three of his own sons. And then he's the one that had John the Baptist beheaded because some girl won a dancing competition. And so he was, he was pretty tough. And now this is his grandson, who is also kind of uh, has a mean streak in him as well. And so we're going to find out in Acts chapter 12, that he's already had um, James put to death, and now he's about to have Peter um, put to death. And so this all happens at the time, some people will say at the time of Passover um, or the, the festival or feast of unleavened bread. And you need to know those are kind of one in the same in a way. In other words, it's the feast of unleavened bread. Passover is a 24-hour period in the middle or, or towards the end of that, that feast. And so, um, and so with that, we'll go to Acts chapter 12. And this is such a cool story. I'm just going to read several verses, but I'm not going to apologize to you for reading God's word in church um, just because um, that would be like me taking you to a really good steak buffet and say, I'm so sorry that there's so much filet here. So we're not going to do it. All right. So Acts chapter one, Acts chapter 12, verse one, it says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, time out, these are Orthodox Jews. So there's Messianic Jews and Orthodox Jews. So Orthodox Jews were ones who did, they do, they do not, in fact, Orthodox Jews today do not believe Jesus was a Messiah. Messianic Jews, meaning Messiah, Messianic, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. So when it says the Jews were pleased by this, these were the Jews that thought the apostles and disciples and all were, were kind of a nuisance because they kept preaching Jesus and they didn't believe in Jesus. So that's why they, they were excited. So he had James killed. It met with the approval of the Jews. And so he proceeded to seize Peter also. 
And this happened during the Festival of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. I guess he thought, man, this guy's like a ninja. Um, Herod intended, <laughs> it's like John Wick, we got to keep him. Anyways, never mind. Um, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. Now here's, here's where the message is. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, I like big butts in the Bible because they do not lie, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Now, first of all, I got mad respect for Peter because I could have a flat tire and be up all night trying to figure out how I'm gonna get that thing fixed and still get to where I need to be on time. Peter is one night's rest away from his execution because it says trial, but if you study it, it, it was all a, a show. It was smoke and mirrors. He was going to execute Peter. He was going to kill him. And Peter knows he's going to kill him. And Peter gets a good night's sleep. I got respect for Peter, right? Um, so anyways, the night before he was going to bring him out, Peter was sleeping. And look, he's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Then suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side. Look, the angel had to wake him up to break him out. That's awesome. And he said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did. And he wrap, wrap also your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him and Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that this was really real because he thought maybe it was a vision. Verse 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. It's like some serious Obi-Wan Jedi. These are not the droids you're looking for. I mean, this is like awesome and they went through it. And when they'd walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt. <laughs> really? You know without a doubt? Me too. The Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were, were, were hoping would happen to me. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, John Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked on the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, it is Peter at the door. And they said, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that he was really out there. And they said, no, it must be his angel. Look at this. He can break out of prison, but can't break into a prayer meeting. That's all I'm saying right there. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. How many times have you been praying for something? And when it happened, you were astonished. Or better yet, you were praying for something and it's trying to break into your life and you keep saying, no, it's not there. It's such a great text to talk about prayer because it deals with so many of the realities, I think, that we run into. And so I, I want to talk for a few minutes about prayer, but I call this message the tipping point. 
the tipping point. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much, God, that you're here among us, with us. You are in our midst. We are in your presence. And God, we pray in this moment that we would hear the words from the Spirit and not just the words from a speaker. And God, that your words, God, would stick in our hearts. And God, they would open our eyes, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see you and know you and hear you. And God, that our lives would be changed in your presence by your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. When we're talking about seeing the power of God, experiencing the power of God, I think obviously you have to talk about prayer. And, um, and here's a great text. It's a great story, but, but it centers around prayer. Peter has been thrown in prison. And now the church is praying. And then when, when the church who is praying for Peter to, to be released, they're pay, praying for Peter to be released, then he is released and they don't believe it. Then when they see it, they still don't believe it. And I just thought, I wonder how many times in our lives that we're praying and we're trying to believe, but maybe we're not really expecting what we're praying for. Maybe you're not really anticipating what we're, we're praying for. I'm not, not hating, not knocking on anyone. I, I, I struggle with this too. But here's this great text about prayer. When we're talking about the power of God and leaning into the power of God, I just thought, what a great text to explore. So write these three things down, just three things that, from this text that I, I really want to communicate. And, and the number one, number one sounds so, so large and so intense and so grave, um, but I wanted it to be that way on purpose, so I wrote it this way. Uh, when the church prays, history can be changed. When the church, Because I don't think we think in terms of prayer affecting history. I think we think in terms of prayer sometimes, can we just be honest, in terms of survival. Like, dear God, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus. I'm just trying to pay the mortgage, God. I'm just, you know, trying to make it through this day, Lord. And I think sometimes we look at prayer as prayers of survival when truthfully, we have this awesome opportunity in prayer to partner with God in ways that change and alter the course of human history. Peter had been thrown in prison and was about to be executed, but your Bible says, but the church, was praying. But the church was praying, earnestly praying for Peter. There are things that will not happen if the church does not pray. There are also things that will happen if the church does not pray. There are things that will not happen unless we pray, and there are things that will happen if we don't pray. That it really is that powerful of a concept, this gift that God has given us called, called prayer. I, when it comes to prayer, I think when as a pastor you talk to people, and I know in my own life you, you think about the times when I have really been moved to pray and the times where I've really struggled because as a pastor it's not always easy for me. There are times you pray and pray and pray and you feel like, and I'm praying but I don't see anything. And I think that's one of the things that, that can deteriorate faith in our hearts. It's one of the things that, that can even cause us to not pray. You say, well, I feel like I prayed. I feel like I prayed. I feel like I prayed but I haven't, I haven't seen anything. Or sometimes it's a misconception of God and the reality of who he is. And I think there are two realities, characteristics maybe of God that sometimes get 
get viewed at in, in the wrong way. And because they are misunderstood, they cause people not to pray, such as uh, this is one I hear, well, you know, God is sovereign. And sometimes this is given in a context, meaning that because God is sovereign, he's ultimately going to do whatever he's going to do. And so what does it really matter then if I pray or if I don't pray? In fact, does it matter if I do anything at all? But when you break down the word sovereign, if you will, uh, it does not mean that God is a puppet master or a grand manipulator. It doesn't even mean that God controls everything. And, and I know we have a Christian catchphrase, oh, you know, God is in control. He, he is in control, but maybe we need to define what he's in control of. Because God is not in control of everyone. God has given everyone this, this, this thing called free will. And that means you get to choose what you want to do. You, you get to decide what you want to do. And God is not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to make you do anything that, that you are not a mindless droid, but rather you are a person who gets to exercise their will that was given them by God. Um, and you get to make your own. So what is God in control of? Well, the word sovereign, if you break the word apart, it's sov, which means supreme, and then reign, which means ruler. And so it says, essentially, the word sovereign just means that God is the supreme ruler, that there is no other higher than him, that he is the highest authority. He is the supreme authority. But, but that is not to be confused with the concept that God controls everybody and everything, and God controls everything about your life. In fact, in fact, God gives us a fruit of the Spirit called self-control. That God is so loving and merciful and kind and so good that He actually empowers us to control ourselves, which seems to indicate that God doesn't actually want to be in the business of controlling you. And so when we're talking about sovereign, that he is supreme, that he is the supreme ruler and authority, it just means there is none higher. But that does not mean that God all the time gets what he wants. Think about this. The queen of England is, is the supreme ruler, if you will, of Great Britain. But I'm pretty sure if we could interview her today, her majesty would let us know there are things happening in her kingdom that she doesn't like. That's not her plan. That's not really her will. She would much rather see it done differently, but yet she is the supreme ruler. We, we know in, in the word of God that Peter tells us God is not willing that any should perish. We know sometimes people do perish without him. There are things that God wants that he doesn't always get, but he is the supreme ruler. He is the highest authority, but it doesn't mean that he's controlling all of us. The other one I hear is, well, God is immutable. And, and what that means is, you know, God doesn't change. And because God doesn't change, we can't change his mind. We can't change what he does. He's going to do what he does. But truthfully, this idea of immutability doesn't mean that God doesn't change his mind or even change what he does. It means who he is doesn't change. It means his love doesn't change, his mercy, his character. Uh, who he is as a, as a being doesn't change, that it is constant and consistent. Uh, let me give you an idea from scripture. Like, remember Abraham? God said, hey, I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember this? And Abraham starts 
um, negotiating <laughs> with God. And he's like, hey, what if there were 50 righteous? And God's like, okay, for, your, for you, look at what he said, for you, if there are 50 righteous, I won't destroy it. And Abraham thought, well, while I've got favor in the microphone, I'm gonna ask for more, right? And, <laughs> and he said, what if there were 40? What if there were 30? What if there are 20? Gets all the way down to 10. God, what if there are 10? And God said, for you, Abraham, if there are 10 righteous, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. We, we know that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham probably should have tried for five. But I'm just saying that God was willing, God was willing to change his plan because Abraham was interceding. That's really intercession. What about Moses? Remember when God gets really mad at the children of Israel, which I think would be really easy to do because they're always murmuring and complaining and nothing's ever good enough. And, and God finally says, you know what, Moses, here's the deal. I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start over with you. This is what God said. This is my new plan, Moses. I had a plan of delivering them and bringing them into the promise. I've changed my mind and now I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. And Moses says, God, if you do that, the whole world is watching and they're going to see a God who is so merciful and gracious that he will deliver his children from slavery so he can execute them in a wilderness. This is not a good representation of who I believe you to be, God. And God, the Bible says, Exodus 32, and God relented. Relented. Changed one letter, repented. It's the same Hebrew word, by the way. God relented. And before you say, well, was God in sin? Repentance isn't always about sin. Repentance actually means to change your mind. Repentance is where you change your mind about sin. And all of a sudden I realize the wages of sin are death. So I, this doesn't work. Like I have, a, I have a sin equals death problem and Jesus came to give me a, a life equals eternal solution. And, and so I'm going to change my mind about how I live and about what is offered and about what I need to do. And so it says God relented. What about Jonah? Remember, he was the, he was the guy that went fishing with himself. He was the bait, one cast, one trophy well. He was very accurate, very skilled. But God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that my judgment is coming against them and they're all going to be wiped out. And, and Jonah says, yeah, no. And so Jonah gets on a boat and, and heads for Joppa, which is the opposite way of Nineveh. And then a storm comes up and they start throwing stuff over. And then Jonah says, hey, guys, guess what? We're probably all going to die unless you throw me over because I kind of messed up and told God that I wasn't willing to do what God wanted me to do. And yeah, I'm sorry. And they throw Jonah over and he ends up in the belly of a whale and he gets a whale transport back over to Nineveh where he is then regurgitated up. Don't tell God no. You're going to be whale vomit. And so <laughs> he's vomited up. Then he goes, get this, he goes and he preaches the word of God, which is God's judgment's going to wipe out you people. And then the Bible says God relented because they repented. And so Jonah stands up and says, you guys, God's going to wipe you out. Now God sent him there and he said, I'm going to wipe them out. My judgment is against them. I want you to go tell them they're about to be wiped out. And Jonah finally gets there via the storm and the well. And he says, God's going to wipe you out. And then they go into repentance. God, we are sorry. And then God tells Jonah, tell him I'm not going to kill him. 
And, and then Jonah chapter three, if you read it, this is where Jonah, my translation says, God, this is why I didn't want to come and preach that message because you are not changeable. You are immutable. Your mercy is new every morning. And I knew if I preached judgment, they'd repent and you'd have mercy. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were good. I knew you were kind and I knew you were loving and I knew you weren't gonna kill them. And if I came, I would just look like an idiot they didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> but notice the immutability was not on what God was planning to do. It was on who God was. And these are the reasons we should pray. Because when we pray, we are praying to the highest authority in the universe. And when we pray, we are praying to a God who is consistent and constant and unchanging in faithfulness and love and compassion and mercy and power and goodness. This is why we should pray, because this is who God actually is. And we have an opportunity to come boldly before his throne. This is why 2 Chronicles 7.14, where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. If my people, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. That We get to partner with God. He's the supreme ruler. But Psalm 115 tells us that the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to mankind. And so he has given us stewardship over the earth. And one of the ways we see God's power come into the earth is through our prayer. Ephesians 3.20, most people quote it, but you put a period where Paul put a comma. Because most people say, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, all we ask, think, or imagine, depending on which verse you have or which version. But notice that's not the end of the verse. Because the verse says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, ask or think look at this next part, according to the power that works in us. The word according there means to distribute or measure out. So here's what God's saying. What is God able to do? Not just all, like Paul said, I could, because you think about it, what does all mean? Is there anything after all? If you have all the marbles, how many marbles do you have? If you have all power, how much power do you have? If you can do all, how much can you do? And Paul is trying to make a point. He's like, God can do all. But, but he's like, no, that's just not enough. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all. Like there's all and then there's what God can do. There's all and then there's what God has. There's all and then there's what he's capable of. And so he's like, I want you to know he does. Well, there's all, but it's more than all. It's like exceedingly abundantly above all. That's what he's trying to say. But then he says this, according, now we have found the breakdown in the system according to the power that works in us. And so here's what he says, the heavens are God's, but the earth is given to us. And God's power now seen on the earth comes through us that he has deposited like treasure in earthen vessels. He has deposited his presence and his spirit and his power inside of us. And now we are actually measuring out the all that he can do. And a limitless God is only limited when his people do not measure out or distribute his power to do all. And one of the ways that we measure out and distribute his power to do all is by praying. Peter had been seized, but the church was 
praying. Here's the second thing. Write this down. That prayer tips the scales in your favor. So when we pray, history can be changed. Here's the second thing. Prayer tips the scales in your favor. Um, we know that the Feast of Unleavened Bread was, was typically celebrated at eight days long, a uh, 24-hour period there being Passover. We don't know exactly when Peter was arrested. We do know that they were praying as soon as he was arrested and that eventually in that eight-day period, there was a jailbreak and he was broken out of prison by the angel. The reason I say that is to say that at some point in their praying and, and interceding for Peter, there was a tipping point where heaven overwhelmed earth. It didn't happen the first day they prayed. Probably didn't happen the second day they prayed. We know that, that it was the night before that Peter was going to be tried, meaning that this was probably the last day of the feast because he wouldn't execute Peter on the feast. And so Peter could have been in prison eight days, six days, five days, four days, three days. We don't know. But we know he was in pr prison for several days, and we know the whole time he was in prison, the church was praying. Here's the reason I'm saying all of that. It's because I believe that prayer has a tipping point. Um, much like the prophet on, uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel, where he prayed, and said, do you see a cloud yet? And his servant said, no. And he prayed again, and he prayed again, and he prayed again. And, and the seventh time he prayed, he said, wait, I do see a small cloud the size of a man's hand. Much like Daniel, who the Bible says prayed for 21 days. Um, and the Bible records this, that, that his answer, if you will, the angel was dispatched the first day that he prayed, but it took 21 days before heaven broke into earth. That, that he had prayed and then he'd encountered spiritual resistance with the answer coming from heaven trying to get to the earth. And Daniel kept praying and as he kept praying, the answer kept coming to him. It, it kept working and fighting through. And so I think that, that prayer has, has a tipping point. I think I can show it to you in scripture. Look at this, uh, Revelation chapter five, verse eight. This is a cool, cool verse. Revelation five, eight, it says, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, that would be Jesus. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Wow. Did you see this? They, let me just, just read that. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now I need this verse and I'll tell you why I need this verse because I pray for a lot and I don't always see things the moment I pray for them. In fact, there are things I've been praying for for quite some time that I still haven't seen yet. And sometimes you can, um, you can feel discouraged. And sometimes I think the enemy of your soul convinces you that there's no one on the other end of your prayer. That, that I've even heard people and I've even felt this way. There's a, a kind of a colloquial saying we have sometimes where we say, man, I don't feel like my prayers are getting above the ceiling, that, that they're just not making it to God, that God is not hearing me, that, that I'm just not breaking through and I'm trying to pray, but I just don't feel like it's been effective. And what this verse tells me is there's never been one forgotten prayer. There's never been one unheard prayer. In fact, this verse tells me how much God values prayer, that he has bowls that are containers to catch and hold every 
every prayer that you've ever prayed. Every prayer that you've ever prayed is actually registered in heaven and is being held in the bowl of an elder as incense before God. This helps me because if I didn't know that, there would be times where I would think I might lose my mind and thinking, God, are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you on the other end of this thing? I know the cheesy Christian t-shirt says that you answer knee mail, but right now I feel like all my knee mail is going to your junk box and you're not hearing anything that I'm saying. But this tells me something different because it tells me not only is every prayer registered, but it shows me how much he values and treasures every prayer. But, but it gets better. Look at this, Revelation 8, verse 3. Another angel who had gotten a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all. Just for that one person that was thinking, this is probably for all the other believers, but not for me. Notice what it says. With the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there were thunders and ramblings and flashings and lightnings and earthquakes and lions and tigers and bears on my. In other words, but, but did, you, did you see that? That, that it was filled with fire, that, that this smoke and this incense which were the prayers of God's people. Here it is before God and this incense is being offered. It's being offered with the prayers of God's people. And at some point, in my opinion, the bowl gets full. At some point, there's a tipping point where all of a sudden this angel takes this scepter and dips it in the fire off of God's altar and hurls it with the prayers back towards the earth. That at some point, heaven joins with these prayers to bring about God's purposes on the earth. I don't know about you, but this helps me because it helps me to think, oh, just keep on praying. Come on, journey, don't stop believing that, that we have to just keep praying because as we're praying, every prayer is treasured. Every prayer is valued. Every prayer is held in heaven by an elder. But there is a tipping point at some point where God, this incense rises to him and the angel leans over and says, oh my, it's about time for a breakthrough. And he reaches over and he gets some fire and, and here comes God's answer. It's helpful because sometimes I don't know what God's really up to. God doesn't give me status updates on my prayers. It would be so wonderful if he would consider this. <laughs> right the other day, I ordered some shoes. Immediately, I get an email. You've ordered something terrific. It's being processed right now. That would be great, God, if you heard my prayer and sent me an email said, I got you, working on it. Right? Like, then, then that afternoon I get another email. Something good's on its way. <laughs> God, you could learn something from Adidas right now. That's what I'm thinking to myself. Right? And it's not too long, then you get an email that says, if you'd like to track your order. Oh, Jesus, I'd love to track where the status of that prayer is today. 
Just click it. Next thing you know, it, it will arrive in three days. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> then I'm sitting at my desk, at my office, and get a ding. It's an email. Your package was just delivered. Yes! You know, it's like, you have revival. It's all I can do to stay at my desk and not go home and look at my shoes. Are you with me? And it's like, God, wouldn't it be great, God? Have you ever considered, God, maybe some text or some email notifications as the status of said prayers that we are currently praying with you? But God doesn't do that. And that's what I see in the text is that the church is praying, but they don't know what's going on with Peter. The church is praying, but they don't see the angel appearing before. But the church is praying, but they don't see the chains falling. Church is praying, but they don't see Peter walking past all the guard, two different stations of guards. The church is praying, but they don't see the, the Obi-Wan gate trick. They don't see that. And the church is praying and the church is praying, but they don't see Peter walking down the street and the church is praying. And the next thing you know, Peter's at the door and they don't even know it yet. They didn't get the status update. And this is what I'm saying. This is why we keep praying because every prayer is registered in heaven. And we don't know exactly what God is doing with these prayers. And we don't know exactly what the time frame is. And we don't get status. But just listen, just because we don't see anything doesn't mean that we're not moving anything. Are you with me? That we cannot let. We cannot let the effectiveness of prayer be measured by what we see. That when we pray, it changes history and prayer really is the tipping point that changes things in our favor. Here's, here's the last thing. It takes faith to pray, but it also takes faith to receive. It takes faith to pray, but it also takes faith to receive. The first thing you see is Peter goes to jail for, for doing nothing wrong, I might add, just, just by believing in Jesus and preaching the gospel. Um, it is possible to have bad stuff happen because you were doing all the right stuff. Maybe you need to hear that. That sometimes, uh, especially the enemy of our soul convinces us that if something is going wrong, then it's because we are wrong. But sometimes the very fact that something is going wrong actually means that we're doing some things right. And so Peter was preaching the gospel and ends up in prison for preaching the gospel. And this is, but the church was praying. It takes faith to pray. That, that in the Bible, we see a lot of different expressions of faith, that if there is faith, I know James says faith without works is, is dead. And so faith does something. It is a substance. It is an evidence. It does something. And there are expressions of faith. For instance, obedience is an expression of faith. You may not know that. But when I believe God, I obey God. When I don't obey God, sometimes it can be proof that I didn't believe God. And so obedience can be an expression of faith. Worship is an expression of faith. In fact, Paul said this way, the Galatians, faith works by love. So love can be an expression of faith. But prayer is also an expression of faith. And the church is exercising faith by Praying. And the reason I want to say this is just to say that right now in your life, because I think so many times we feel inept and, and we feel like it's not enough and we feel like we don't have enough faith. And sometimes there are well-meaning teachers that seem to indicate, oh, you have little faith. And it's like, you don't have as much faith as you need and you need to get more faith and you don't have as much faith as me. And, and then people get on Instagram and you're like, Lord, I could never be them. I mean, they're out there walking on their lake right now and I'm just trying to make it through another day. 
But I just want to point out that if you have prayed any prayer this week, that is an expression of faith. That if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know if I have faith. I don't know if I consider myself a person of faith. I don't, I don't know if I have great faith. I would just like to say, if you have prayed one prayer this week, it is an expression of faith working in your life. If you have called out to God one time this week, whether it was an oh no or an oh me or a dear God, whatever it was, it was an expression of faith. And before you let anyone beat you up or before you let the enemy convince you that you're not good enough, I would just like to point out that if there is any semblance of prayer happening in your life, whether it's, I know sometimes we think, well, I don't pray an hour a day. I don't pray five hours a day. I've been in those rooms with people. Well, you know, pastor, I try to pray five hours a day. I'm like, that's good, brother. Good for you. You need to get a life. That's what you need. And I'm just kidding. I would never say that out loud. And I'm like, I'm like, brother, I'm, I'm praying every day too. Most of the time just to stay sane and saved. That's what I'm praying for. You know, I was just praying for the, for the children in Africa today. It's like, pray, bless you, brother. Bless your soul. I was praying for the children in America that stay on Northwood in my house because I'm the Lord got to work some things out in their life. I just want to point out, though, that if you prayed at all, it's an expression of faith. And don't let anyone convince you you have no faith if there's any sign of prayer in your life. That prayer is an expression. So here it is. Peter's in prison, but the church is, the church is praying. The church is praying. But then they pray Peter out of prison. And Peter gets to the door. And now he's knocking at the door. And it seems that no one is aware. And I know when, when there's a big prayer meeting, I understand. It can be really loud. And if that doesn't make sense to you, you haven't been to a Pentecostal prayer meeting. <laughs> so it can be really loud. And I mean, they're, they're praying and they're in there, you know, and they're praying. <laughs> Again, you don't understand if you haven't been to a Pentecostal prayer meeting. Don't judge. And so anyways, <laughs> they're praying. But all of a sudden, this one girl, this one servant girl, here's the doo, doo, doo. And this, this is what I think is that it takes faith to pray. But I think prayer should always be coupled with a listening ear. Yes. That everyone's praying, but there was one girl that was listening. And to me, now this is, it takes faith to pray. But this is a new expression of faith because it takes pray, faith to pray, but it also takes faith to listen for the answer. Remember, Peter shows up and they're like, it's a ghost. There's no one there. You're crazy. The people who are praying. So they're all praying, but this is where they go different ways because there's one group that they had the faith to pray. And that's how they were expressing their faith. But then Rhoda had the faith to pray and listen. God might answer this prayer. He might have a solution. And, and I don't want to invest this time in praying and not expect God to answer. Jeremiah 33, call unto me and I'll show you things too marvelous that you don't understand yet. And, and so I don't want to just pray, but I want to expect God to respond. That prayer can be a conversation. And God may not give me status updates, but he might. Yeah. 
and I don't want to, I don't want to miss what I'm praying for. And so I think good prayer is coupled with listening. And let me just say this. And when you hear, don't let good intention people talk you out of it. Because here is Rhoda and she is praying. And then she's like, I hear something. And she goes to the door. Who is it? It's my best Rhoda. And then she hears this. It's Peter. Ah! And she runs back in there. You Again, you haven't been to a Pentecost? Never mind. Anyway, so she runs back in there. Peter's at the door. And they said, no, he's not. You've lost your mind. You're going crazy. He's not out there. And she has, in, has to become insistent. No, really. No, really. No, really. No, he's not. No, and here's what I'm saying. When you're praying and when you're listening and when you're hearing, don't let anyone talk you out of what God has spoken to you. Because sometimes there are well-meaning people that say, well, you, you don't need to get your hopes up. Like it's okay to pray, but don't expect anything. It's okay to pray, but you know what? This one's too far gone. It's okay to pray, but you know what? I just, you know, I just don't want you to be disappointed when it doesn't work out. But Jesus didn't come so you could lose hope. He came so you could get your hopes up. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so... We should get our hopes up. Jesus came to get our hopes up. And when I'm praying and when I'm listening, when I'm hearing something, then I'm not going to allow anyone to talk me out of the fact that God is speaking to me about what he wants to do. And so here she is praying, or here they are praying. Here she is listening. Here she is going to the door. It takes, it takes faith. It's an expression of faith to pray. It's an expression of faith to hear and expect. But then there has to be the faith to receive. It's another expression of faith, the faith to receive. Mark, Mark 11, 24, um, Jesus said it this way, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. What's the verb? What's the verb context? Verb tense. Received. D, d, received. D. But have I received it yet? No. But did you believe you received it? This is why the golden bowls are very important because one of the keys to believing you can receive the prayer that you prayed is understanding that it got to where you were sending it. And so what he says, he said, whatever you ask for in prayer, it takes faith to pray. But he said, don't stop there because the next expression of faith is to believe you've received it. See, there were a lot of people in the prayer meeting but only one of them, Rhoda, who was ready to receive what was at the door. Think about it this way. They actually prayed Peter to the door. What they prayed for was at the door. They had been so vigilant and, and, and had prayed so earnestly that God had heard and answered and had brought what they prayed to at the door, but someone had to have faith to receive what they had prayed all the way to the door. And I felt like if it was just for one person, that's okay, but I felt like this was the message. In fact, this was my third message I went through to get here. 
I had two others before this one. But the reason I came to this one was I felt like I needed to tell someone what you prayed for is at the door. That Rhoda is not wrong. What God has said, you have heard. And he is at the door, the provision. But now you have to have the faith to receive it, to accept it, to claim it, to take it, to say, God, I know I heard you. Faith comes by. I know I prayed. I know I heard. I know I hear something knocking. And now, God, I'm going to stand and believe that I have received it, even though it's on the other side of the door. And believing that it's on the other side of the door and receiving it, now the door will open. And what I prayed to the door will enter into the house. This is what prayer is all about. Partnering with God to change history. There's no prayer that's been prayed that God's unaware of. There is a tipping point. And we can pray. We can pray it to the door. But then there's that faith to receive it. To say, wait, if I prayed, and if I've heard, it's not a spirit on the other side of that door. It's not an illusion. I'm not imagining it. No, I prayed it to the door. And now by faith, I'll take it. I'll receive it so that what I prayed to the door can come into the house. I'm telling you, Rhoda's not wrong. What you've heard is at the door. And now it's just that next step of faith to say, I prayed it, I heard it, and now I'm going to receive it. And I'm going to see it enter into the house. That God is faithful. Can you give Jesus a hand because he is so faithful? Why don't you stand with me?